Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Hey, our vision here at Calvary Church is life change. You just changed mine. And um, that's something that we've been talking about in this series. It's, it's what we do. We believe that the purpose of the church is to see people's lives change through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We do that. Our mission is to see that happen as people connect, grow, and serve. Life change happens when we connect, grow, and serve together. And last week, we, we started out by taking a look at a picture of a church that's on the Katsky Pillar in the nation of Georgia. Do you remember that picture that we looked at, the, the video of the church that was 100 feet up in the air, difficult to get to? And we said how that isn't a picture of connection and what the church should be. I wanna show you a different picture of a church in a remote place today. This one is not a picture of connection as well, but I think it's an analogy for something else. This is what's called gazuklak, or something like that, and the pronunciation is none of your business. But here's a, here's a picture of it. I practiced in everything, and then you look at it, and it's hard to say. This is an island off the coast of Spain. Isn't that awesome? They built this man-made kind of bridge that takes you there, and then once you get across the water, it's 230 steps to the top of that place. Beautiful scenery. I think there's another picture that'll give you kind of another perspective on what it looks like. And it's just a gorgeous place. Here's what they say. 230 steps to the top, but it's worth the climb. It's not easy to get there, but you're glad you did it. It's a lot of effort, but it's worth it. Growth's like that, isn't it? It's not always easy. It's difficult. It takes effort. It takes energy. But when you do it, when you expend that energy, when you take those steps, no pun intended, it's worth it in the end. Today, we're going to look at the grow part of our mission as a church. What does it mean to grow? If we're going to connect, grow, and serve, when we talk about this idea of grow here at Calvary Church, what does it mean to grow? To answer that question, we're going to go back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me, if you would, please. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it gives us a summary of what the followers of Jesus Christ were doing when the first church started in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, look at what it says here. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, last week, we talked about connection, and we looked at these two ideas kind of there that are in the middle, the idea of the fellowship and the breaking of bread. And we saw from these scriptures that followers' fellowship that in the church, names are more important than numbers and that we are better together. Next week, as we celebrate what God is going to do through Serve Week, we'll talk about this idea of serving. But today, I want to look at three things that we mean when we talk about growing at Calvary Church. What do we mean when we say grow? There's three things we're going to look at today. Here's the first one. Number one, growth is a choice. Number one, when we talk about growing, growth is is a choice. Like so many other important things in life, if we're going to grow spiritually, we have to determine to do it. Growth is something that happens when we choose for it to happen in our lives. Now, there's things that are going to come your way, things you can't expect, things you can't plan for. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be opportunities. There's going to be disappointments. There'll be seasons that feel like great gain, and you may have times when you experience great loss. When those things come, how do you grow from those things? Spiritually, how do you grow from these things? 
And what's, what's really significant, and, and I hope you'll really capture this today, is that spiritual growth doesn't just happen. If, if you want to grow spiritually, it's not just going to naturally happen. If you're going to grow in any area of your life, it's not just going to naturally happen. Spiritual growth, however, doesn't just happen. It's like physical growth. It has to be deliberate. It's true even, even for babies who are naturally inclined to go through seasons of growth. If you're a good parent, though, you look for ways that you can nurture them, their nourishment. You make sure they get enough rest. Why? Because you want them to grow. Even for those of us who are on the other side of puberty, you get to a point where maybe physically you're not growing in the same way, but you still have to keep in mind, how do I grow the food that I eat, the ways that I exercise, the things that I do with my mind? Those are all things that help us to develop and grow both physically, and the same thing is true spiritually. Now, the Bible talks about this and how we have a tendency to stop growing spiritually. There's kind of a passage that's a bit of an indictment. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Do you see what he's saying there? There are times where it's possible where we can stop growing spiritually, where where we don't try, where we don't move forward. And when we should be to solid food, we're still taking part in ways that, that he categorizes as milk instead of that maturity that we should have. Does that make sense? See, here's a truth that's it's not just real in a spiritual way. I think it's true about every part of life. It is possible to grow older and fail to be more mature. It's possible to grow older and fail to be more mature. Does anybody come to mind? I mean, I can hear my mom's voice in the back of my head. Chad, grow up. I can hear Rhonda's voice in the back of my head. <laughs> Chad, grow up. Yesterday, yesterday, I heard that, right? Why? Now, look, I'm not talking about, some of us have a tendency to go, I don't want to grow up. I'm free-spirited. I'm fun-loving. That's not what I'm talking about. That's great. You want to be like that? That's, that's cool. That, that may be fun. I'm talking about the fact that sometimes we get immature and irresponsible. And we don't take responsibility, not just for our lives, but even for our individual growth to grow and to mature. And it takes that initiative. Nobody wants to be stuck in a place of immaturity where you're not growing and you're not moving forward, where life's on hold. And the truth is, and especially spiritually, we think that sometimes just because we've been in the church or we're growing older or we think we're moving forward, that we're actually becoming more mature. And the reality is just because you're older, it doesn't mean you're mature. Initiative is required. First Timothy chapter four, verse seven. Paul writes, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. If we live according to God's word, it changes our lives. And if it changes our lives, then it will help us to grow, but we won't grow if we don't do what it says. There was a patient who went to the doctor and said to the doctor, doctor, it's been a month since my last visit and I still feel miserable. And the doctor said, did you follow the instructions on the medicine I gave you? And the patient said, I sure did. The bottle said, keep tightly closed. (laughs) Dumb, I know, that's that's a dumb joke, it's dumb. (laughs) 
but it's a dumb thing to do. And we do it with God's word sometimes, where we know what we should do and we fail to do it. Growth is a choice. Go back to verse 42, Acts chapter two. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. It was a steadfast commitment. They were determined and committed to grow. And if you neglect the spiritual part of your life, you will not grow. So you have to ask yourself, what are the catalysts? If growth is a choice, what are the things that are gonna help me to grow spiritually? It's reading God's word. It's talking with God. It's living the truths of scripture. It's looking for God's best in the experiences in your life. It's desiring to mature. That is all growth. And when we make the choices to grow, God responds. When we do our part, God always does his part. We'll see this in just a moment. If we take those steps toward him, then he brings the growth back into our lives. The question is, are you, are you growing? Are you growing in your walk with him? I mention these things because it's gonna require some initiative on your part. It takes discipline. It takes habit. And my question is, do you have spiritual habits developed in your life? I think we have certain habits that we just kind of get used to. I'm pretty consistent with taking a shower. Can I get an amen? Or is it a good thing? But it's work for me oftentimes to consistently maybe, maybe go to the gym or to exercise. I've gotten really good at brushing my teeth. Can I get another amen? <laughs> but eating healthy, that's, that's a challenge. That's a habit that I can fall in and out of. I've got a habit of checking social media. But reading other things that may be more beneficial for me, especially even God's word, those are things that sometimes I have to work on. Do you get where I'm going with this? There's certain habits that are easy for us, whether we even realize they're habits or not, but bringing these other things in that have great benefit for us. Look, I'm not sharing a dazzling truth with you right now. These are probably things, especially if you've been around the church that you already know, but these are essential truths because what you do regularly will impact your life greatly. And so what is it that you're regularly doing? What are the habits that you have in your life? And when we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it talks about being devoted to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, we come up with two very basic habits about spending time in God's word and about prayer. And some of you just said, are you kidding me? Do you know how many times I've heard this in church? That I'm supposed to read my Bible and pray? And I'm gonna hear it again today? Yeah, we are. And here's, here's two reasons why. One, because it's right here in the text. We're, we're here, Acts chapter two. We're moving through the book of Acts. And it stresses these two ideas here in verse 42. Here's the other reason. For some of us, that's one of the most basic parts of what we know it means to, to follow Jesus, is to spend time in the Bible and in prayer. And yet, I've had conversations with good friends recently who have said, you know, I struggle to do this regularly. And when I struggle to do it regularly, it affects my life greatly. And I, I want you to grow in your faith. So we're going to talk about this today. The first thing that I want you to see when we talk about this idea of growing is that growing is a choice. You make a choice to grow. Here's the second thing. If we're going to talk about God's word, it's good for us to come to this. Number two, the Bible is our book. Number two, the Bible is our book. If you want to know what defines us as followers of Jesus Christ, if you want to know what, what we use as the source of our wisdom and our ideas and our thoughts, the Bible is our book. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Look at how he starts this out here. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. By mentioning the apostles' teaching, Luke is actually being very specific here. 
He's saying, look, there were these 12 individuals who Jesus commissioned that we refer to, and Luke uses this term quite a bit, and he exclusively uses it to talk about the 12 apostles. These are the individuals that Jesus commissioned, that Jesus chose, that Jesus gave, and this word's important here, he gave them some authority. And the teaching of the apostles is what the church was committing themselves to. What would they have been teaching? Well, well, for one thing, they would have been sharing the words, the stories, the teachings that Jesus would have given because that's who they were just with for these three years. And so they would tell the stories about Jesus. We also know that they would take the things that they knew about Jesus and connect them back to the Old Testament. Here's what's significant. The Old Testament that that we look at as the Old Testament were the Jewish scriptures and the only scriptures that the apostles had at the beginning of the church, right? That's all they had. And so they would take the teachings about Jesus, connect them back to the scriptures, in particular the Old Testament scriptures, and then they would say, look, using these teachings, this is how you are to live your life and give practical truths and ways to live that truth out. These were the apostles' teaching. They were giving the early church truth to live by from their position of authority. Now, we don't have those 12 apostles anymore, but we still have a place of authority where we get our truth from, don't we? Don't we? Okay, good. I, I was just, I, if you're not laughing at me, you're sleeping on me. I didn't know for sure what was going on here, right? It's God's word. And God's word is the source of truth. It's the place that we go to know what truth is and what authority there is. And the Bible is our book. And if we ignore what it says, we will not only not grow, but we'll find ourselves deceived and confused. The Bible is the objective standard for the life and the faith of the follower of Jesus Christ. But this idea that that the Bible is the source of truth is challenged quite a bit. We find it challenged outside the church, and even recently, oftentimes, we, we find it challenged inside the church. And so it's good for us to come back and go, why is the Bible such an important book? How are we to view the Bible in our lives? And, and I want to take a few minutes and talk about this because it's really significant. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul writes, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. He's saying here, look, someday you're going to stand before God. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. When you stand before God, in order for you not to be ashamed when you stand before God, much of it will be determined by what you do with the things that you know that come from the word of God. The Bible sets the standard for what we believe and how we live. If, if you want to know what you should believe, if you want to know how you should live, the Bible sets the standard. If you want to know how you're going to grow in your faith, it begins with the scripture. Go back again, Luke chapter 8, parable of the sower. It talks about the fact that that Jesus compares what's going on in the kingdom to a a farmer who goes out and sows seed. And does anybody remember what he says in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, the seed is? He says the seed is the, the word of God. So the way growth starts in our lives, the way growth starts anywhere is with a seed. And the seed of spiritual growth is the word of God. The seed of spiritual growth. If you want to grow spiritually, it begins with the word of God. And and that's really significant because for a lot of us, we let the Bible become something that just kind of gets talked about on Sunday mornings. 
maybe a Wednesday night here and there, or, or we pull it out for certain holidays. In the Bible, God has designed to be so much more than that. It's a guide for how we live in our families. It's a resource for money management. There's tips in there for conflict resolution. It is a manual for success in business and relationships. It's filled not just with great poetry, but gritty historical stories. It's all there in the Bible. And God wants us to have more interaction with it than just hearing some guy talk about it on a Sunday morning. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Here's, Here's what I hope you'll get. The Bible is more than just a book. It's more than just some other historical a collection of writings. It's more than a book. It is alive. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Look at that phrase again. All scripture is God-breathed. That means God breathed his life into this. This book isn't just empty words or old stories. It is literally alive with God's truth. And that idea is challenged. And some some of you have had that experience where you've challenged some of these ideas about God's word. Is it true? Does it matter? Do I even care? And maybe you've challenged it in your own personal thinking. Maybe you've had it challenged in some kind of an educational setting. And our tendency is to dismiss the Bible as more fiction than fact. Or at best, we might have a tendency to go, well, it's, it's a good book. It's got a lot of good teaching, interesting stories. And, and I think if you, if you learn it and live by it, it could be helpful but it's, it's just another great book, kind of on par with other great pieces of literature. And I, I want to challenge you to not allow that kind of thinking to affect how you think about the Bible. People say it's just another book. And I want you to know there's no other book like the Bible. There's no other book like the Bible. Do the research for yourself. Don't just believe what somebody else tells you. Look, the, oftentimes people will say, well, you can't really trust the Bible. Here's the truth. The Bible is consistent. Oftentimes people will challenge these little inconsistencies in the Bible, these little minor things, these little questions they bring up. And, and take a look at this book. It's consistent. This, this is more of a library than just one book, right? If you open the Bible, you'll find out there's 66 books in here written by 40 different people over a span of 1,600 years in multiple languages. That's quite an accomplishment, isn't it? And guess what? All those people, all those years, all those books, they all tell the same story. They all fit together to show that at the beginning of time, man lost relationship with God, and then God goes to great lengths to bring it back to man. That's the story of this book, isn't it? And it's told with great consistency. Culture chips away at the Bible's minor inconsistencies instead of recognizing the major continuity that we find in this book. The Bible is consistent and the Bible is reliable. People will challenge you to to question the reliability of the Bible. And I want to challenge you to do your own research and see that the Bible is reliable. The Bible has earlier more abundant, more accurately copied manuscripts than any book from the ancient world. Because you know, this, this is how it worked, right? Paul wrote one of his epistles and he didn't press send with an email or load it up to Dropbox, right? What'd he do? Well, it was written on these parchments and scrolls and then it was sent. And if anybody else was gonna read it, then someone else would have to copy it. And literally for centuries, if you were gonna get a copy of the scriptures, 
You had to have it copied. And there were scribes and there were people who worked on this. And understand that today, when we go to figure out how do we translate, how do we have a collection of what the New Testament says, there are currently some 5,800 manuscripts, parts of the New Testament in Greek. They are earlier and more accurate than other books from the ancient world with over, watch this, if you compare the different manuscripts, those 5,800 manuscripts, they are accurate with over 99% accuracy. Even beyond that, 100% of the basic teaching of the Bible is conveyed in these copies. Even where there are these inconsistencies that people challenge from the translation and the copying, the truth is it doesn't change any of the truths that scripture teaches. This is a really important thing for us to know and understand. The Bible is reliable and you can put your trust in this book. Why does it matter? Because if the Bible is just another book, then I can choose what I do with it. I can take the good stuff out and the stuff I don't like, I can put it aside. But if the Bible is a source of authority directly from God, think about that for a moment. If the Bible is actually a source of authority directly from God, then does that change how I view this book? Yes or no? Yeah, okay, good, thanks. Let's say this. Let's say I go and park my car, and you come up to me, and you go, hey, I don't think you should park there. You know what I'm going to say to you? You ain't the boss of me. That's what I'm going to say. You can't tell me where to park. I'll park wherever I want to. But if I park my car, and you come walking up to me wearing the, officer, the uniform of a police officer, does that change how I view what you say? Because now you've come to me, and you've said, you can't park there, and you're saying it as a person in authority. Just you, your street clothes, I go, you ain't the boss of me. You walk up to me, and I say, I will move it right now, right? Why? Because it comes with authority. And where there's authority, we do well to respond. And that authority comes and advises us, not because there's some kind of power trip, but because the authority knows what's best, what's wise, and what's good for both ourselves and for others this is really important about God's word because it comes to us with the voice of authority. So it's not just another book that we can pick and choose what we want. This is God's word to us, so that makes it really important and really important in a culture that challenges much of what God's word says. We want to live a life that's based on the truth, right? So then know this, for there to be truth, there must be a standard. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna live your life based on what is true, there cannot be truth if we're all defining it for ourselves. There's either something that's true for everyone or it's not really true. And we believe that the Bible gives us the standard for what is truth. Now, this is really significant because you'll hear a lot of other things from a lot of other voices. Understand this, volume does not equal truth. Just because someone is loud, it does not mean they're right, right? Volume doesn't equal truth. You can tell me how great a product is. You can yell and you can show and you can shove it, but no, I didn't mean it that way. Not like you, in my face, in my face. But, but if I, I don't usually say that, but if I buy it and it's not good, no matter what you told me about it, that doesn't mean that it worked for me. Just because you were loud, it doesn't mean you were right. Volume does not equal truth. Does that make sense? John chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Not just something you like to hear, not just something that seems to make sense. The truth isn't something that's found inside of us. The truth, objectively, ultimately, is only found in one place. And this isn't to rain on anybody's parade. This isn't to to try to kind of be old-fashioned or stodgy. This is just the reality. Truth is only found in one place. And it's not until you recognize the truth that you're really set free. The problem is that too many times I start looking inwardly. In our, in our kind of selfie culture, I start focusing on myself. And when I look for truth in me, I just make a mess. Let me give you an example of this. There was a, a story in the news about an art exhibit that took place in LA recently. And we've got a video we'll show you on the screen. I'll kind of walk you through it as you see this. This is the surveillance camera from this uh, art exhibit. There are all these crowns that are out there. If you look up in the right-hand corner, do you see those kind of two ladies that are up there taking some pictures? Watch the one on the left, because she's about to move here, and she's gonna take a selfie with all these crowns behind her, and then that happens. $200,000 worth of damage. Look at the guy coming in praising the Lord right there. I don't think that's what he's doing, right? He's trying to, and the other lady in the middle, she's like, I had nothing, I am getting out of here. I have nothing to do with this. She was so focused on herself that she ended up making a mess, right? The same thing happens when I look for truth in myself. Now, a couple of things to learn from this. Number one, if you ever do an art exhibit, please bolt those things down to the ground. Can I, am I right? <laughs> Second, when you're so focused on yourself and what you think is right, eventually everything starts to fall apart. Know this, that the laws of man can never override the laws of God. The things that God says, no matter what other people say are right or fair or legal or anything else, if God doesn't say the same thing, what God says wins. And this can sometimes cause conflict because I have this tendency to go, yeah, but, but I want to think about what makes sense to me, what seems right to me, what feels good to me, what seems fair to me. Just because I want something to be true does not mean that it's true. Just because I want something to be true does not mean that it's true. I have tried to tell myself for years that the best thing for me to eat is ice cream. Can I get an amen? Amen. I'm telling myself that. You know what I found out? No matter how bad I want it to be true, it's not true. Now, I believe when we get to the marriage supper of the lamb, there's going to be plenty of ice cream and it's not going to matter, right? But until then, no matter how much I want it to be true, it's not true. Yeah, but Chad, so much in the Bible is kind of old-fashioned. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of outdated. I, I don't know that it's, that it's real or that it's accurate or that it matters anymore. Watch this. Times change. Truth does not. And so we hold on to the truths of God's word. This is important because for a lot of us, we find ways to change the way we see God's word. We try to filter it in a way so that it makes sense to us by putting things kind of in front of to help us to understand God's word instead of just listening to what it says. There was a lady in the United Kingdom recently who went in to have cataract surgery. And when she went in to have the surgery, they looked in her eyes and they found that like stuck in the corner of her eye were 17 contact lenses that were all gooped together in there. They looked a little further and found 10 more in another part of her eye. She had 27 old contact lenses stuck inside of her eye. They'd been there. Listen to what she said. She was, uh, she was quite shocked and uh, she thought her discomfort was from dry eye and old age. 
she had for so long stuck stuff in her eye that wasn't even helping her anymore, that was actually distorting her vision, that she had forgotten what really it was like to feel and to see the right way. Watch this. She, she uh, had reportedly put off regular opt- optometrist appointments despite having worn monthly disposable contact lenses for over 35 years. She just kept getting the same lenses, putting them in, you know, taking care of it that way. And, and when they finally took them off uh, and out, she said this. She said... Um, Uh, her eyes felt much more comfortable two weeks after the glob of lenses was removed. You think? (laughs) She had spent so much time messing with how she was seeing things that she was distorted in her vision and didn't even realize it. We must filter what we think through the lens of the Bible and not filter the Bible through the lens of what we think. How we view life, how we make decisions, how we make our choices isn't based on what we think and let's hope the Bible matches up. If we start with the Bible, we're gonna be a whole lot better off. Chad, why why is this so important to you right now? I'll tell you why it's so important to me right now. And and I don't don't even wanna talk about cultural issues and all that kinds of stuff. When we get to Acts chapter 15, we're gonna take some time and look at some of what what we might call some of the hot button issues in our culture. We'll talk about that when we get further down the road in the book. Guys, do you know why it matters to me right now? Because I want you to win. Look at this, 1 John chapter two, verse 14. John writes, and, and he's, he's being kind of poetic here as he gives these different titles, but the truth is, is packed in here. He says, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men. Now, he's not just writing to young men here. He's, in his poetic style that he's using here, he's, he's creating great truth. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Just like the Apostle John, do you know what I want for you? I want you to be strong. And when challenges come your way, especially the ones that may come from the enemy of your soul, I want you to overcome them. Do you know how that happens? When the word of God lives in you. And it's not just another book. It is a book that changes our lives. Look, growth is a choice. And it starts when you recognize that our, our, our Bible is our book, which takes us then to the third thing. Number three, intimacy comes from proximity. Number three, intimacy comes from proximity. If you've ever had a healthy friendship or relationship with another person, you know that one of the secrets to that is communication. At some point, you've got to be able to communicate with that person. When I do premarital counseling with a couple, one of the first sessions that we have, one of the first things that I'll always ask is just, hey, as, as we start talking about this before you get married, are there any things that you hope we'll talk about in these, in these times together? Nine out of 10 times, you know what they say? Well, we sure would like some help with communication because they know that that is a, a deliberate choice that you make, and if that communication is not healthy, then it affects the whole relationship. That's why when you read Acts chapter two, verse 42, go back to it, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? Finding out what God has to say, and to fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What is prayer? When you communicate with God. If you're listening to this message, then it's probably because you desire to be close to God, and understand this, there's no intimacy without proximity. Now, don't, don't take a narrow, romantic view on that word intimacy here. 
The truth is, if you want to have health in any relationship, you have to get close. That's why James says, James chapter 4, verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. See, the problem isn't God wanting to be close to you. The challenge is, are you willing to take the steps to be close to God? And I, I talk to people all the time who say, man, I just, Pastor, I just, I just want to be closer to God. But then we stay where we are. Look, I'm guilty just like anybody else. I say I want his presence in my life, but do I take the steps to get closer to God? My step is critical. The issue isn't with his desire, it's with mine. Know this, it's not possible to stay close to God unless you stay close to God. Think about that for a moment. If you want to be close to God, if you want to feel God's presence in your life, if you want to know him more, it's not possible to stay close to God unless you stay close to God. So, so real practical, if this proximity leads to intimacy, how, how do I get close to him? We're talking about God's word, we're talking about prayer. Let's talk about God's word for a moment. If, if, if you're gonna do this, start with the prayer that we prayed back, back in May in one of our messages. We talked about this, Psalm 119, verse 18. What if when, when you open God's word, you prayed this prayer, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. God, show me your word and then find some way to be consistent in the time you spend in God's word. And, and it doesn't have to be hours a day. Develop just some kind of plan. Maybe you're gonna read a chapter a day and you pick a book of the Bible or you can use, use an app like the, the Bible app that comes from life.church. That's one we recommend. They've got all these Bible reading plans that are there and you can go there and you can find these tools that are there. Sometimes you say, well, I don't understand what I read in the Bible. What do I do? Well, maybe, maybe get some resources to help you. Maybe you can find a study Bible. We recommend one that's called the Fire Bible that you can get online or you can even, we have some copies here that you can get. You can use something called Right Now Media. If you're not familiar with this, you can go out to the, the media button on our webpage and one of the options that you'll see is this Right Now Media. It's, it's free of charge. The church takes care of the cost and it's hundreds of Bible studies. It's like Netflix for Bible studies. And there's hundreds of these video Bible studies that you can get on different topics, all kinds of content for kids as well. Check that out because it's a tool that will help you. We're gonna have some classes in the fall when we start back up our Wow Wednesdays in September, one of which, which is gonna be about how do I understand the Bible, another that's gonna be about how do I learn how to pray. Like all, all these things are there. And some people say to me, well, look, I read God's word, but then I'm not sure what to do with it. I'm not sure I understand it. Let me give you real quick three questions to ask of scripture. You might wanna write these down. It's super, super simple. But what I try to do when I read God's word is I don't try to like memorize a whole chapter. I say, Holy Spirit, will you help me to see one thing? Oftentimes, maybe just one verse that you want me to, to take to heart because I ain't that smart, right? <laughs> That's why I use the word ain't. And, and, the, and, and, and the thing is, I can't remember everything that I read, but if I can come down to one thing and then I ask these questions, the first question is what? <laughs> like, what is this saying? What is it trying to communicate? What does it mean? So the first question I ask is just what? What is this all about? The second question then is, so what? Now that I know what it means, why does it matter? Why do I care? Why is this important? What? So what? And the third question is, now what? If this is important, then what do I do with it? How does it affect my life? What? So what? Now what? And then I'll challenge you, if this rings true with you, to, to take some time for prayer. It was a part of the disciples' practice to make times for them to pray. How do you pray? You just talk with God. Look, start with this assumption. Psalm 73, verse 28. 
The psalmist says, but as for me, it is good to be near God. And we make prayer so difficult. What if we just start with this? Prayer is communicating and having a relationship with God. It's just like when your friend calls you up and you have a conversation with that person. It works in that same way. 1989, I think it was spring break. A bunch of us from our youth group were, after, I think, service on a Wednesday night or whatever, we didn't have school the next day, and we were like, hey, let's, let's do something. Like, all right, well, hey, let's, let's go bowling. All right, that sounds good. And then we started having this conversation like, okay, how are we going to get there, and who has cars, and who doesn't, who needs a ride, and that kind of thing. And, and I saw my moment because there was this certain young lady that had captured my attention. And I thought, Casanova, it's time for you to make your move. And so I went up to her and I said, hey, you going bowling? She's like, yeah. I said, you need a way to get there? Yeah. Said, well, you can ride with me. She's like, okay. We got out of there so quick because I didn't want any of my loser friends to want to ride along, right? <laughs> this was my moment. And so we get in the car and I realized she's not just cute, but like we had this conversation. We had like 15 minutes. I had to capture these 15 minutes. And I found out she's not just cute. Like, she's smart. We, we share a lot of the same thoughts and, and ideas. We've had some of the same experiences. Like, there was this real communication that was happening. There was, there was magic in that moment. For once, someone was actually laughing at my jokes. Like, it was, this, it was this really beautiful moment. Something was different about this because the communication that was happening. And that poor girl has had to communicate with me ever since. And, and it was, yeah, you better clap for her because she's got, <laughs> she's a saint. Here's the deal. I still enjoy that conversation. It's still fun for us just to talk and laugh and, and joke and communicate. When, when does the struggle come in our relationship? The challenges come when the communication stops, right? We start struggling when we stop talking. Anybody else found that to be true? If we're talking, if we're communicating, that's a beautiful thing. But we start struggling when we stop talking. That's, that's true in your marriages. That's true in your family relationships, in your friendships. Can you imagine that's true in your relationship with God too? And when you stop that communication with God, that's when the growth stops. That's when the challenges begin to come in. And we say, well, man, I'm just so busy. I have such a hard time making time to talk with God. And the reality is that's probably a good excuse. You probably have good reasons. You probably are very busy. We do that all the time. There's things we know we should do, but we get so busy. We say, look, I'd, I'd, I'd love to exercise, but I'm just so busy. I need to take my car to get an oil change. I'm just... I'm just so busy. I really should, should get clean. I, I really should probably take a shower, but I'm just so busy. And you know what happens? If you keep saying you're just busy, you're going to be out of shape, stuck, and stinky, aren't you? <laughs> and the same thing's true in your relationship with God. You can have all kinds of good reasons, but good reasons can still lead to bad results. And at some point, we have to recognize we have to take steps with initiative, growth is a choice, the Bible is our book, and that proximity is what leads to intimacy. And I want you to have that intimacy with God because if you don't, you'll just go rolling through life and you'll find yourself someplace where you don't wanna be. 
They have these new inventions now. I don't know that we have many around here. I haven't seen them anywhere, but they're in some big cities. They're these robots. They look like, like if you took R2-D2 and had him built by the Coneheads. There's the, they're these weird little robots that are security robots. And they put them in these major cities and metropolitan areas, and they're these things that just kind of roll around, and they help people if they're in trouble. They're, they're determined how to detect where there's conflict or whatever. I don't, I don't understand the whole thing, but they're these security robots that they have. And they just initiated using some of these in some different areas around Washington, D.C. There's this kind of business area in the Georgetown part of Washington, D.C., that they just this month started using one of these robots, and it had a, a terrible accident because it's still like trying to figure out what's around and map the areas, and it was rolling right along, and all of a sudden, just this week, it hit these four steps last Monday and found itself in a fountain. Here's a picture of uh, R2H2O right there, I guess, and um, here's another. You can see where they're trying to fish him out of there. They, when, when he started rolling around there, they affectionately named him Steve. And just for the record, Steve can't swim. And he was just rolling right through life and totally missed the, the, the challenges that were ahead of him. He hadn't grown to be able to detect what was right there in front of him. Look, my fear is that for many of us, we're in a place where we're just rolling right through life and, and we've stopped growing We've not spiritually made it a, a determination that I'm going to grow in my faith and I'm going to move forward in who I am and what I believe and live according to God's word and stay close to God. And the reality is you just, you just need that. As, as I thought and prayed about this, there's some of us that are we're, we're great in our walk with God and that's awesome. But some of us are empty and we're stagnant and we're tired and we're confused we're maybe even at a point where we're bitter. And it's come because at some point we, we let that proximity take away some of that intimacy. And we've lost the health of that relationship with God that we could have. And he has so much more for us. That's why we want you to grow. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? Whether you're here in this room or auditorium too, maybe you're watching on a screen somewhere. And take a moment and evaluate the things we've talked about today. Let, let the Holy Spirit just speak to your heart for a moment. Look, maybe for some of you, you'd say it goes all the way back, Chad, to the point that I'm just not right with God right now. And I know the Holy Spirit's speaking to my life that there's things in, in my life that I need to be forgiven of. And there's choices I've made that I know don't please Him. And that today I need for things to be right between me and God. That's what we mean when we talk about him being our, our savior and our Lord, our forgiver and our leader. And if you need to start there today, in just a moment when I pray, I, scripture says that if you'll just call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. That you would with your heart say, God, I need you to be my savior and my Lord. And then I challenge you to go to our connection center. There, there's people there who would love to pray with you, resources we want to give to you and encourage you in that decision. For others of you, you you've said it's been a long time since I've chosen to grow in my faith this week maybe even it's just going to be one day but that you start and say God I need to draw near to you to make the decisions that I make in my life based on your word to put my confidence in you to draw near to you and then know that you'll draw near to me and that that proximity would, would then lead to great 
intimacy in my life. Father, thanks for your word. Your word that challenges us not to stay the same, but to see you work and move in our lives. Father, I ask that as a result of what your word has spoken to us today, God, would you help us to be more like you? Lord, that we would choose spiritual growth, that we would live according to your word, and that we would find in your presence, even in the midst of the times when we're tired and confused and lonely, worn out, God, an intimacy with you that not only allows us to grow, to find strength every day of our lives. Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. How would you send us out with your special favor, with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name.